0: Well, good morning to everyone. So delighted to see our visitors from all points south. Have Riley back home with us. Very delightful. If you'd open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to continue our study through the book of Ephesians this morning. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord together. Our Father, how thankful we are that you have given us another opportunity to meet together with our brothers and our sisters and open your word, to read it, study it. Father, I pray that this morning that you would be our teacher, that you would send your spirit upon us and you would take your word and uh, apply it to the hearts of each one here this morning. Father, how I beg of you that this morning you would show us your redemptive glory In the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd show us your glory. Father give us. Eyes to see. Eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And cause us. To run to him. Father how thankful we are for a savior. Who is successful. Who has successfully. Completely put away the sin. Of his people. And how thankful we are. That you've sent this message, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to us. We thank you for the faith to believe it, to see it, and Father, I pray that you give us the the faithfulness to continue preaching Christ and Christ alone. What we pray for ourselves, we pray for our children's classes, and we pray for your people, Father, wherever they meet today, cause your gospel to run well, for your glory and, and the good of your people. All these things we ask in that name which is above every name. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right, I've titled the lesson this morning, The Blessing of Election. Our lesson begins in verse 3. Where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now our text begins with a a comforting truth. God the Father has blessed his people with every spiritual blessing that there is. He has not withheld one blessing, not one, from his people. And he's made them real easy to find. He's put them all in one place. He's put them all in His Son. Now whatever it is you need, go to Christ. It's in Him. It's all in Him. He hold, God holds nothing back and gives all these blessings to His people and many of them are listed in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, it is my intention to take my time and look at one or two of these blessings um, each week and, uh, and look at them in some detail. And the blessing... Where we're going to look at this morning is the blessing of divine election. Now, it's important to see, as I told you, the Father put all these in, in, in one person, in one place, so that they would be easy to find. All these blessings are in Christ. They're in Christ because they're, they're, they are the result of Christ's work for his people. They've all been purchased by the blood of Christ's sacrifice, so they're all in him. Look how many times the, the Paul tells us here these things are in Christ. At the, end, at the end of verse 3, he tells us he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted, Where? In the beloved. Verse seven, in whom we have redemption. Verse ten, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Verse eleven, in whom also we have ob- obtained an inheritance being predestinated, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in. In Christ, in whom he also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Paul says here, we're, we're, you know, we're going to get to this in a number of weeks, but he says, in whom you trusted. You didn't believe a set of doctrines. You didn't believe just a, a, a religious message. You believed in Christ. See, all these things are in Christ, which is why I tell you so frequently go to Christ, look to Christ, depend upon Christ. They're all in him. So like I said this morning, I want to look at this blessing of election. Paul tells us that the Father has blessed us, by has chosen us in Christ. Now, first of all, I think it's important to tell you what election is not. Election is not God looking down through the telescope of time and seeing people who would choose him. So he chose them. That's, that can't be. And I'll show you that in, in Psalm 14. God didn't choose good people to save. He didn't choose people who, who would choose him. God chose to save dead sinners. Psalm 14 verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men. God did look down through the telescope of time, didn't he? He did look down on on all men who would ever live to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And this is what God saw. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So when God looked down on all men, this is what he saw. All men are sinners. None of them would ever choose God. So if God's going to choose anybody to save, it's got to be sinners, doesn't it? It's got to be sinners who can't do anything to to save themselves, to make themselves more savable. They can't do anything to get God to save them. God chose to save sinners. Now that's the blessing of election. It's a blessing to you if you're a sinner. The people that don't like election, I'll tell you why they don't like the truth of election. They don't think that they're a sinner. That's exactly why the father didn't choose a people because they were holy because they were better than somebody else. Our text says God chose a people that we should be with holy without blame before him in love. God chose a sinful people so he could display his glory when he made them holy. They didn't, they weren't born into this world that way. God chose them to make them holy. Now, again, if you're a guilty sinner, if you see your sin, you see yourself as vile and guilty, that's a blessing. That's good news that God chose to save sinners. And here's another accusation, if that's what you want to, want to call it, or, or objection to this truth of election. People say, well, the Father elected some people to heaven and some people to hell. No, sir. God didn't have to elect somebody to go to hell. We do a fine job of that all on our own. If God wants to send a man to hell, all he's got to do is leave him alone. The only way any sinner ever could be saved, that we'd be made holy, that we'd be made without blame before the holy God, but the only way we would ever choose to be saved on God's terms is if God chose us first, that he had to choose us first. So that's what election is not. Now I want to look and see, what does the Bible say election is? Well, number one, election always has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul tells us. The father chose a people in Christ, in Christ. Look back at uh, Isaiah chapter 42. Christ, the son of God, is God's first elect. The father elected. He chose a savior to save his people. He chose the people and put them in his son and he trusted his son to get the job done. Isaiah 42 verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold mine elect. He's, he's speaking here of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is God's first elect in whom my soul delighteth. I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. The father elected a, a savior to save his people and he said he's going to do it. He shall bring forth this judgment, this salvation to the Gentiles. Why do he say specifically the Gentiles there? So we know that almighty God chose to save the worst of sinners and his son came and did it. Now that's a blessing. When the father chooses a people and put them in his only begotten son, the son of his love. Apply that not to the innumerable multitude that God chose, the father chose and the son saved. Apply that just in your heart to you personally. To think almighty God specifically, on purpose, chose me and put me in his son. So that when he sees me, all he sees is his son. That's a blessing. All right, number two. Election is a loving doctrine. You know, people who don't know any better, this is, they always present this this way, that the doctrine of election is mean and hard. And anybody who believes it, anybody who preaches it is mean and hard. I'll tell you why they think the doctrine of election, the truth of election is, is mean and hard is because they think they deserve a chance. They think they deserve a chance to be saved. And here's why they think they deserve a chance. They think they're good enough to earn it. They think they're good enough to do something to get God to save them. They think election is mean because they mistakenly think they have the ability to decide to let Jesus into their hearts. They think they have the ability to decide to believe on Christ. And that's not so. The carnal mind's enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. If you talk to people long enough, this this is an accusation that you'll hear. They'll say, well, if what you're saying is true, election means that there's some sinner who will want to be saved, who will want to come to Christ, who will want to be washed in the blood of Christ, who will want to be forgiven in the, uh, in the blood of Christ, and they'll come to Christ and he'll say, nope, sorry, your name's not anywhere here. You're one of the elect, so I won't show mercy to you. Now you write this down. That will never happen. That will never happen. The only way anyone will come to Christ wanting to be saved on God's terms is this reason. God elected them first. And he put a new want to in their heart. He he, he gave them a new nature that needs Christ, that comes to Christ because they're a sinner who needs a Savior. And when they get there, you know what they're going to find out? God chose me first. I loved you with an everlasting love. I loved you before time began. That's why I drew you to me. You're here not because you decided to, but because I drew you. (laughs) That's what they're going to find out. That's a loving doctrine, isn't it? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. In verse 7. Now, the Lord set his love on somebody. But look what he says here. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, elect you, because you are more in number than any people, for you are the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God chose a people. Because he loved them. Because the holy God has the capacity to do something you and me can't do. God loves sinners. And you and me, we're so self-righteous, we look down on people that we think are more sinful than us and we just can't bring, bring ourselves to love them. Almighty God loves sinners. And he chose them. He chose to save them. The word chosen that he uses here, the word means to choose out for oneself. God chose a people out for his glory and his pleasure. His pleasure. It pleased the Father to make those people holy and righteous without blame before him in love. He chose out a people that in other places in scripture he calls a peculiar treasure. He chose them out for his enjoyment. That's a loving doctrine. If somebody gets the impression that that, that, uh, we're being mean and hard in in preaching this truth of election, somebody's doing something wrong. This is a loving doctrine. (laughs) What amazing grace that the Father would set his love on vile, guilty sinners like you and me. That's a blessing. Number three, election is a gracious doctrine. Now the election of God's people. The Father he chose a people to save. Tell you what that means. Salvation is all of grace and none of works. That's what it means. And if you're a sinner, you love to hear that that salvation is by grace. It's all of God's doing from beginning to ending. And you know why a sinner loves to hear salvation is by grace? It takes all the pressure off. I don't have to be good enough. For God's sake. Actually. I have to be sinful enough. Salvation by God's grace means this. I can rest in Christ. Because he's perfect. He's accomplished a perfect salvation for his people. He's perfect. And I'm not. So I can rest in him. That's what salvation by grace means. Salvation. Is a decision. You know, people talk about, well, you got to make a decision. Well, salvation is a decision, all right, but it's God's decision. Salvation is a work. People say, well, you got to work. You got to work to earn it. You got to work to keep it. Well, salvation's a work, but it's not your work. It's the work of God. It's the work of God for you and in you. When did Paul say God elected a people into salvation? When did it it? When did this happen? Did he, did he, did he elect a people unto salvation after they did something good? No, sir. It happened before the foundation of the world. God elected a people before they were ever created, before they ever had a chance to do anything good or evil. Now, God knew the only thing they do is evil, but God chose them anyway. Look at Romans chapter 9. It's the very same reason God loved Jacob. And hated Esau. It wasn't because of what those boys would do. It wasn't because some inherent nature on their part. It was simply God's choice because he would. Romans 9, verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, either having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. God's election has nothing to do with our goodness, has nothing to do with our works, has nothing to do with anything about us. It's all according to God's very it's all God's purpose and God's decision, and the election of a people. If God, I mean, just doesn't this just stand to reason? If God's going to choose to save sinners, he had to he had to choose them by His grace. A sinner can't be saved any other way, can they? Look over at uh, Romans chapter eleven. Even so, then, at this present time also, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Why are there believers on earth right now? I mean, all the way back, if you want to go all the way back to Adam, if you want to go all the way back to Israel, if you want to go all the way back to, to the apostles, the time. why has this message s- still prosper, still go out and save God's people? Why are people still believing this message after all these years? It's because even now there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Because God graciously chose a people to save. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm trying to drive home this point. God didn't choose anybody because they're good. No, God chose sinners to save. Verse 27, 1 Corinthians 1. But God... Hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen, He's elected the weak things of the world to confound the things that, which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised. That's who God has chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. If election, is all of grace. This is a, a, an election of grace of people that do not deserve it. Then tell you what we're, we're going to have to say. No flesh is going to glory in his presence. If God saves his people by grace, he's the one that gets all the glory. And that's what we're trying to do here this morning, isn't it? To worship him. Praise him. All right, here's the fourth thing. Romans chapter 8. Election is a justifying gospel or a justifying doctrine. Now, the Father elected a people, but that's not salvation. No, that's not salvation. Christ had to come and justify those people by his blood. Look at Romans 8, verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies now, the word justified means being made without sin. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is without sin. He came and worked out a perfect obedience to God's law as a man. Now, you know, obviously the Son of God inherently is holy and righteous, in me, But he became a man. The Son of God became a man so that he could be the representative of his people and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He obeyed the law perfectly. That's how he made his people perfect. Adam made us sinners by one act of disobedience, didn't he? Christ made his people righteous by his perfect obedience to the law. But something's got to be done with our sin, doesn't it? We still committed it. Something's got to be done with it. So Christ, in love for his people, took the sin of his people into his own body upon the tree He made that sin his sin. He took it away from his people and made it his and he suffered and died under the wrath of his father to pay the debt and put that sin away and he justified his people. If you believe on Christ, you still have a sin nature. (laughs) Absolutely. But you have a second nature that's justified that is without sin and can never sin. See, the father... Remember when he created Adam, he created all the animals, and he created the garden, he created the whole world. He put Adam in the garden. And all the animals had a mate, didn't they? There's male and female. Adam, there's just a man. There's no female, the human race. And the Lord saw it's not good for Adam to dwell alone. So he made a helpmate for Adam. The Lord made Adam a bride so he wouldn't be alone. Well, in the same way, the father saw his son and he saw it's not good that my son dwell alone. He's so glorious. He's so wonderful. He's the glory of heaven. It's not good that he dwell alone. So the father chose. He elected a bride for his son. The father was so delighted in his son. You know what he said? I want to make a bride for my son. I'm going to choose her, I'm going to make her just like you. I'm going to populate heaven with a people I've made just like my son. He delights me so much, I'm going to fill heaven with a people made just like him. That's why Christ came to justify his people by his blood. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Thank God for his electing love, The result of that is Christ came and made his people just like him, perfectly righteous and holy. All right, here's the fifth thing. Election is a keeping, preserving doctrine. Now, the only way salvation can be sure, the only way we can't lose it, is if salvation began with God's election of the people. If salvation depends on my choice, More likely, I'm going to change my mind at some point. If salvation could be earned by our works, salvation couldn't be sure, could it? Because we would never know if we did enough. But election is in Christ and God can't change. Christ cannot change. That's why his people will never be cast out because he cannot change. He's already perfected his people. He's already justified them. There's no reason for the father to cast them out. And the father can't change his mind <laughs> because God can't change. God's immutable. And that's all that is is a great big religious word that means God can't change. And since God can't change, he'll never cast out the people which he foreknew. Look at it, Matthew chapter 24. Boy, you think with all the all the sin that's in us, all the, the sin and false religion that's in the world. I don't know. Are we going to go off on a tangent? Are we going to go off following something that's not true? Well, no, we won't. Not if the Father elected us, we won't. He'll preserve those people that he elected. Look at Matthew twenty four, verse twenty four. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets. And shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. If it were possible, they would, but it's not possible. It's not possible, not because we're so smart, not because we're so faithful, not because we're so deeply entrenched in the truth of Christ. We can't be deceived into following an idol. We can't. A believer cannot be deceived into following false religion, because God won't let them be deceived. The Father's holding them in his hand and he's not letting them leave. If the Father elected you unto salvation, he'll preserve you to the end. Regardless of how many false Christ and false prophets there are in the world. Despite the fact that our flesh would follow a lying heartbeat, he won't let you. It's a preserving doctrine. And the last thing is this. Election is a motivating doctrine. Now we know God elected a people unto salvation. Christ came and he died for God's elect and only for God's elect. And everyone for whom Christ died, they're justified. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to give them faith in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. Somebody's going to preach Christ to them and they're going to say, that's the Savior. That's the Savior I need. The Spirit's going to give him faith to believe that. I know that. I know not one of God's elect can possibly perish. Well, people say, well, I believe what you believe. Well, I wouldn't preach. That's the very reason I do preach. <laughs> I wouldn't waste my time preaching. If I had talked people into doing something, you, know, you all know my brother is an insurance salesman. I'd starve to death if I had to do what you do. I'm a horrible salesman, horrible but if, if all we've got to do is proclaim Christ, who he is, what he's done, why he did it, where he is now, just 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 preach his glory. God's elect are going to be drawn to that like a moth to the flame. The Spirit is going to irresistibly they, they they just can't help it. And they're not going to they just um You think about this. If God didn't choose a people to save, would you bother praying and asking God to save some? If I didn't know God elected a people to save, what motivation would I have to pray and ask the Lord to save me? What motivation would we have to pray and ask the Lord to save our, our lost loved ones, our friends and our neighbors? What, what motivation would we have to do that if we didn't know God chose a people to save? Or you chose a people to save me. Save those here that don't, Lord, you chose a people to save us. You know, understanding the truth of election, that God has a people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation under heaven. Do you know that's what made Walter Gruber go to Mexico? It gives us a missionary spirit. That's why the apostle Paul told Timothy, I do all things. I endure everything that I've endured for the elect's sake. I'm out there on the trail, God's sheep. And I tell you, I don't know who they are, but I tell you how they're going to be revealed the Holy Spirit's going to give them faith in Christ when I preach the gospel. So Paul said, I'm going to go everywhere I can, everywhere the Lord opens the door to preach the gospel because he's got much people. Remember, Paul was going to leave whatever city it was he was in. The Lord said, no, no, you stay right here and don't you worry about this. I have much people in this city. Well, how did Paul know who they were? Well, he preached Christ and they believed him. <laughs> See, it doesn't make us fatalistic at all. It gives us motivation to, to preach Christ to our generation. So let me give you this in closing. Now God chose a people and he did it to glorify himself. Look back at our text, Ephesians 1. God chose a people to glorify himself, to glorify all of his attributes, his his wisdom, his justice, his grace, his mercy and his love, his holiness, to glorify all of his attributes by choosing to save the worst of the worst and then send his son to save them. Now it's, it, it seems impossible that a sinful people would be holy and without blame before the all-seeing eye of God, doesn't it? Yet God did it. He made those people holy and without blame before him in love. And when God wraps this whole thing up, all of creation is going to see what God has done for his people, and they're going to praise him. They're going to praise his grace. They're going to praise his wisdom. They're going to praise the power of God that he would save such a sinful people. The reason God did all this is verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now since all this is true, do you know you cannot preach the gospel without preaching the truth of election, without preaching God's electing love, Some people say, well, yeah, you know, it's true, but now don't, don't preach that right off. You know, you'll scare somebody off. Just, just tell them about the love of Christ and about the blood of Christ and about the grace of Christ. Just, just preach this sticky, sweet, you know, message. Don't, 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 don't say anything about justice. Don't say anything, you know. And then later on, you know, kind of sneak election in on the back door on them. Well, I disagree. What was the very first thing Ananias preached to Saul of Tarsus? Election. Brother Saul, the God of our fathers, has chosen you. Very first thing. How did Paul begin his letter here to the the church at Ephesus? With election. He gave him a greeting, and he just burst right into praising God for his electing love. I'm just convinced of this. We, We begin preaching the gospel. By preaching the truth of election. Because that's where it all began. Everything we believe is built upon this foundation. God is God. He elected a people to save. And he's going to save them. And if you try to to deny. God's electing love. You're denying the 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 whole gospel. Because if you deny. God's electing love. His right to be merciful. To me will be merciful his right to love whom he will and hate whom he will, you're denying the very character of God, aren't you? If God's election of a people is true, then God is God. He's absolutely sovereign, doing as he will, when he will, and what he does is right, and he's also merciful and just. The election of God's people makes God the savior of sinners. But if you try to, to deny election, tell you what you do. You make man responsible for salvation and it makes God a bystander. It makes God a bystander to his greatest glory in saving his people from their sins. I mean, that's just too absurd to waste any time talking about. You cannot preach the gospel without preaching this truth of election. And I thank God for his electing law not the way men try to define it, but the way he's defined it in his word. That's a blessing in it. All right, I hope the Lord bless that too.